Hello there and welcome to episode 8 of Feckin' Football. This is Feckin' Football from an Irish perspective and I am your host, Toomey. I just want to start off by saying thanks to Ross Ambrad at The King of Ping and Dara Agnew, El Diablo. For last week's uh, Fan Zone special, we talked about Man United against Liverpool in the Premier League, which finished nil-nil. But today it's just going to be me and I'm going to start off today with a dream involving at the King of Ping and El Diablo. A dream I had this morning and the dream was as follows. I came out as a substitute in the last five minutes of a match. It was uh, the King of Ping's team. It wasn't Wayside Celtic, it was some unknown team. And I came on on the left wing with five minutes to go. We were 3-0 down and uh, Dara Agnew, El Diablo was playing uh, left back and there was some surprise that I was playing left wing because I'm a right footed player but that kind of added to the intrigue of the dream Um, but anyway I I had a few good touches and I got involved in the game and the pinnacle of the dream was I got the ball on the left hand side of the pitch and I cut inside went by two or three players and I kicked the ball I had a great shot for some reason the goalkeeper turned his back it still felt felt like a great goal and it went in and it was 3-1 and I knew there was only a few more minutes left and what happened then was a bit strange I was talking to the referee about how much time has left and he said his watch was broken he gave me his watch he sort of broke up the pieces of it he gave me like the hands of time around the watch and was trying to get me to fix it and then I kind of woke up I thought that was a bit strange but I really enjoyed the dream and then just as a minor note I went on to have another dream that I was back playing for my old Gaelic football team Kilmacud Croaks and I was playing hurling and I played Gaelic football when I was growing up but this time I was playing hurling and I was always terrible at hurling but in this dream I came on again in the last minute I don't know what it was about the two dreams but I came on again with only a few minutes to go in a match the ball came up to me in a corner forward position I controlled it really well and I didn't score this time but I, I hand passed it in, as in hurling to somebody else who scored and I was really happy about that and then I woke up and that was a great way to start my Sunday I'm recording this on Sunday January 24th um, so I just thought I'd tell you about that it's, it's nice when you have a good sporting dream I wonder if any of you Fecomaniacs can, can remember have you had any good sporting dreams but anyway, enough drivel, and let's come back to reality. Let's come back to feckin' football. This week, I want to go through some points that I've been thinking about for the last week in football. I have 10 points. So here we go. It's Toomey's top 10 talking points from the week. Number one, taking the ball out from the back is now the norm, even in poor teams. Remember when Pep Guardiola's famous Barcelona team from about 10 years ago and they were playing Man United in the final of the Champions League at Wembley. That was kind of like the peak Barcelona that it was such an amazing thing to see them taking the ball out from the back. Like I remember one time Busquets was dropping back and he was he was taking the ball outside of the box but it was, he was right beside the goal line and people would marvel at this how Barcelona were able to take the ball out from that deep. It was kind of seen at that time that only the highly skilled uh, amazing teams of passing could do that but now it's it's adapted that every single team pretty much is doing that at different levels of football obviously there's been that rule change where you can now take the ball inside the box uh, from your goalkeeper previously you had to go outside of your the penalty box to take the ball so so every team is doing it and every team is doing it well 
And I think every team is coached well now on how to do it. And you can nearly plan how to how to take the ball out from the back, like certain combinations of passes, like pass it out to the centre back. He might pass it back to the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper might pass it to the full back. Then the press comes on and then you might just hit it over the press slightly into midfield. There's lots of different like combinations you can do. So what's happening now, I think, is because all of the teams have adapted to the high press when certain teams took it out from the back. Like the high press is no longer as scary anymore and it's easy to devise ways to get around it. And it's just really, really interesting to watch how football evolves all the time. And I think even closer to home, I I never really thought we would see this in the League of Ireland, that all of the teams in the League of Ireland are taking the ball out from the back. I remember I used to play very low-level Leinster Senior League about 12 years ago, and I wanted to take the ball out from the back every single time, and I demanded my teammates would do that. But we weren't very good, and when we tried to do it, uh, we would lose possession and then everyone would panic and then nobody would do it again but I'd always look for the short ball and I wanted to to, to keep doing it but I think the difference with our team was we were very low level and we weren't coached on how to beat the press and the combinations and the get out of jail clauses that you need in your in the back of your mind but nowadays all the teams are so the press is completely negated and it's just really interesting point number two should tripping people up be a red card, especially on the counter-attack? Uh, I really hate to see this. Like the, the transition is such an important part of matches now and the cynicism that just breaking up the counter-attack with trips and deliberate, deliberate fouls. I, I really hate that. But the trip in particular, why is that not violent conduct? When you're deliberately tripping somebody up. If I walk down the street and I deliberately trip someone up, that would be borderline assault. Why if I go into a tackle with somebody with my studs up, is that an automatic red card? Because it probably is violent and it hurts the person. But why is it not violent to deliberately trip somebody up? As they're running, trip them up and they could fall on their face. They could hurt themselves. They could really break their arm depending on how they fall. That might be a bit of an over-exaggeration. But it's the intent. There's no intent to get the football at all. Why not make trips a red card? And if it's too hard to call in the moment, bring in VAR. And I think it'd be quite easy to, to stamp out deliberate trips out of the game and I'd love to see it. Point number three, Pogba. Pogba back in form. And maybe that's a strength of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's not forcing Pogba to be something that he's not. He's really man-managed Pogba in the way that Pogba needs to be managed. And that reminds me of the way Alex Ferguson used to manage different personalities like Eric Cantona and Roy Keane and the Nevilles and Whoever was in the team, he used to have like individual ways of managing them. Even Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, he was had a different way of managing him. Rio Ferdinand, he was quite harsh on him. So I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has figured out that you need Pogba to be kind of loved and give him space and accept him for who he is. And then he'll he'll grow up eventually and he'll take the responsibility. And it's just, it's great to see. So well done to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Point number four, is there too much football? This is since uh, the COVID-19 situation. All of the matches are uh, shown on TV at all of the different times. And this is great for the avid football fan. But now we have football on tap, just the same way like we had uh, music on tap with Spotify 
or movies on tap with Netflix. So every single day there's a football match on. I mean, I, I, mean, I find it quite uh, tiring for feckin' football keeping up with all the news. And when I was um, planning on how to design this podcast, I thought I'd tactically break down some matches and... I don't know, it just, but the, the t- when you've done that, there's another match coming up in two days' time after that. So that's, in, in terms of the podcast, it's hard to keep track of all the matches. But I think as a fan, I think maybe there's a, a danger of the enjoyment being diluted a little bit. And we've seen this in NBA basketball in America when there's a match on at the moment nearly every day. And a lot of those matches become meaningless. I don't see the same thing happen- happening in Premier League because it's, like in NBA, you kind of, you only have to finish in the top eight positions to make the playoffs. And it's all about the knockout playoffs at the end of the season, whereas Premier League is like the 38 game season. So each match matters. But at the same time, I find myself just being like, geez, this is exhausting. There's another match on tonight and I want to watch them all. But at the same time, it starts to interfere with your life, your the quality time you spend with others like your other interests that you might want to take on like movies or reading a book even or doing something creative all of that is is taken up with football i, I, th- I just think it's it's kind of funny number five uh, mesut ozil leaving arsenal we have a happy ozil and i've been following this situation quite closely i just think it's nice to see mesut ozil happy uh, to be out of that toxic situation that he was in, um, not included in the Premier League squad this year. The fan base divided between those who love Ozil and love the way he plays and love his creativity and the assists and those who think, on the other hand, that he is a drain on Arsenal and that he doesn't work hard enough and he only shows his brilliance in flashes and that he's declined hugely. Like So... I think the whole situation was toxic and it was dividing the fan base of Arsenal. And I think Ozil himself just appeared very unhappy. How could you not be very unhappy in that situation? So it's it's really nice to see him happy again. I mean, he's got a few years left to play football. I, I love to watch players like Ozil. I love the beauty and the the art that they players like him bring to the game. They're, they're the type of players you, you pay to watch. Yeah, he's he's a number 10 and I think number 10s went out of fashion in the last 10 years completely because it was all about pressing and you couldn't be like a a languid number 10 like Ozil. On the other hand, we've seen in in the last year or two the reemergence of the number 10. The press maybe for for the team is becoming less effective, so maybe like you can see the likes of Firmino, he was a, a, a great presser for Liverpool the last couple of years. But because, as I said earlier, teams have gotten used to the pressing, it's less of a weapon, I think, now. So so that re- means that the likes of Liverpool might be better off getting rid of Firmino and putting in a creative number 10. And there might be a, a room for people like Ozil in teams. Point number six. It's a great league this year, the Premier League, and lots of the matches matter. And I think that's what happens when you have a four or five horse title race. I mean, there's so many matches that now matter, like watching Leicester on a Tuesday matters, watching Tottenham on a Wednesday matters, Man United on a Thursday, Liverpool on a Friday, and Man City on a Saturday, less so because I hate Man City and I hate the oil money that funds Man City. We haven't seen this in years, that there'd be such an open title race like this. It's really 
increased the excitement and the suspense, even though maybe the quality of the matches has declined this year for lots of reasons. At least the results matter and it has you glued to the screen until the end. Okay, point number seven, the Klopp factor. Is it in decline? We're talking about Liverpool. I'm talking about Liverpool. If we go back to Borussia Dortmund, Klopp's previous team, they really were really strong and really energetic for a number of years. But Klopp's final season, I was looking into this this week, they were bottom of the league for different points of the season. They seem to run out of steam. They're in the bottom half of the table for most of the season. They eventually came back and finished seventh. But interestingly, they only had a really a rebound in form after it was announced that Klopp would be leaving at the end of the season. Some say it's it's almost as if the players got together and they thought they'd like to give Klopp a good send-off because they thought he'd be leaving. But I wonder, is there something about Klopp's style of play that it's so intense, it's so in- based around pressing, that you kind of burn yourself out? Not so much physically, I think psychologically. Keeping yourself so intense all the time even the way they pass the ball when they're at their peak it's like like if you can imagine a boxer punching 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 all the time that's what, like they press holes in defenses it's not like intricate play and it's not kind of the way Barcelona back in Guardioli era it's it's a complete Klopp style of play and then when they don't have the ball it's that really intense pressing I just think the amount of mental energy it must take playing for for Liverpool over a couple of seasons must be very high and I wonder, is it the kind of the beginning of the end for Klopp? I know that sounds maybe a bit alarmist or a bit premature, but this is what's happened before in Borussia Dortmund. He burned himself out and he burned the team out. And I wonder, is that why the, the front three of Liverpool, in particular Mane, Firmino and Salah, why they've sort of run out of ideas and creativity, they look tired, they look pressured, I wonder, is there something about that, just the way that Liverpool play? Is it very hard to keep that up over a few seasons? Point number eight also relates to Liverpool. Their opponents, Burnley, who beat them 1-0 at Anfield, the first time that Liverpool have lost there for a long time. I just find Burnley annoying. That's my point here. Burnley are really annoying. First of all, just a a strange point for Burnley. Um, All of their team are white. It's just weird to see. Obviously, there are a few different nationalities, but they're they're all of a similar type of player. Hardworking, run around. Like, where's the joy? Where's the enjoyment? What sums up Burnley is after the game, when they've won a big, big win against Liverpool, Byron says, what a shift from the lads. I hate that way of looking at football. What a shift, as if it's work. What a shift, what a great shift you put in there. You've unpacked the shelves really well there. You've lined up everything well. You have balanced your till really well. You didn't put anything through the till in error. That's a really great shift. You can now clock off happy with the with the job of work that you've done. That's what Burnley are like to me. There's no, there's no joy de vivre. There's no beauty. Sean Dyche, there's no progression in the way he manages there's no room for creativity there's no room for him to evolve that's what i'm trying to say he doesn't evolve over time he just keeps it in this very tight closed-minded way of uh, playing football and okay it works it works in a, up to a mid-table level but you got to you got to be looking at different ways to express yourselves as players and as a club 
come on. I mean, Southampton have changed their style of play. They're high pressing and they, they're good on the ball now. Wolves last year, they can do it with, with playing an attractive side of, style of football. You don't have to be like Burnley. But Sean Dyche and his Burnley boys will tell you otherwise. And I, I just, I hate turning the joy of football into work to such an extent like they do. Point nine was actually also from Liverpool against Burnley last week. And it was the tunnel incident between Klopp and Dyche. They're walking in at halftime and Dyche is walking in about five steps ahead of Klopp and Klopp is shouting after him. He's shouting something at him and he's gesturing and Dyche is just ignoring him. They get sort of to the end of the corridor and Klopp is still shouting. And then Dyche just turns around and stares at him, stares him down in the face and then Klopp sort of retreats <laughs> and he sort of quivers. It was just, it's just really funny to, to see. And then Dyche like stares him in the eye and Klopp is still shouting, but he's really toned down his body language and he actually fe- looks a bit fragile or something because of the way Dyche just stops and stares at him. I thought that was kind of funny. Point number 10. Injuries to two key players this week in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne of Manchester City and Jamie Vardy of Leicester. Those are massive injuries for those two teams. Their two key players are going to be out for approximately a month, maybe six weeks. Leicester and Man City have been going so well, but if you take out their best players, that's bound to affect them. So I wonder this year in the league with with the Premier League fixtures coming so thick and fast, is it actually going to be squad size and the strength of your squad that's going to dictate your title challenge? I think Tottenham might come back into it. And I think Man United have a chance now to really stake their claim um, because they're free from injuries at the time of speaking. And they have good creativity. They have a good balance in their team. Liverpool also have a chance to come back. They haven't had any of their own fresh injuries at the time of recording. So let's see how that plays out. And there you have it, Toomey's top 10 talking points from the week from Thekken Football. You'll notice I didn't mention the FA Cup. I'm not really into the FA Cup. I know there might have been a few shocks or a few close calls or a few good games in the FA Cup but it's not really floating my boat at the moment, so I'm not really going to comment on that. Thank you very much for listening. We're coming to the end of this episode. I really hope you have a great week ahead. Yeah, January 24th, maybe the 25th is the earliest time you'll have heard this. And I think it's good to look forward. The the days are already getting a bit brighter. We're nearly into February. The vaccines are coming for COVID. We're nearly there. We just need to hang tight until the end of February. Once we get to March, things will literally start to march on. There'll be more hope in the air. So just stay safe, keep your cool. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And if you want to check me out, I'm on Twitter at Feckin Football and the main podcast at Feckin Check-In on Twitter. And we have a Feckin Check-In episode coming for you next week as well. We've, We've changed that to a monthly show. So I look forward to talking to you on Feckin Football and Feckin Check-In in the next week and have a look out for some further fan specials coming up as well. I like interviewing people on Feckin Football and we will do that again in the future. So take care. All the best. Bye bye.